Do you ever wonder what comes next? Have you ever questioned how successful people got to where they are? What if we told you that your dream job is within your reach? All this and more on Framing Your Future. It's episode three, and this time around, we're going to be focusing on the STEM fields, specifically engineering. So stay tuned to get a backstage pass into what it's like to be an engineering student and also find out how engineers save lives right after this. We'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Buddies Books and Bistro. Located in the Learning Commons, you can stop by Buddies and check out their weekly pizza, grab a smoothie, or satisfy your caffeine fix with a coffee. Buddy specials have a unique twist as they are based on the cuisine of where their student workers are from, be it here in the United States or other locations around the world. Buddy's also has all the cougar swag to meet your needs. Whether it's business casual or a lazy weekend at home, Buddy's got you covered. That's Buddy's Books and Bistro, located in the Learning Commons on the main campus. Okay, we are joined today with Michael Olson, who is actually the spouse of our own Miley Olson, the College Now Director here at WNCC. Michael, can you give us some information on your educational background, how you got into engineering? Yeah, sure. I have a bachelor's of science in civil engineering from uh, the University of Nebraska. And then I have a master's of engineering in water resources engineering from Colorado State University. My undergraduate grad stuff. I actually started my senior year of high school. I took Calc 1 and 2 via distance learning through WNCC. And that was great because I had was able to transfer in 10 credits right away. You know, got a pretty good head start on that. Um, and it was easy to do that through to UNL. Why I got into engineering was I like math and sciences. I mean, my mom was a math teacher, high school math teacher when I was growing up. And so I just really liked the math and sciences. But when I was looking into the engineering fields um, I, with an agricultural background, I wanted to lean towards that, but I, I didn't necessarily want to pigeonhole myself. A lot of the jobs and stuff like that for agricultural engineering are in the Midwest, but they're not necessarily around here. I mean, you can find them. And I really wanted to stay closer to home. What kind of led into that was then civil engineering was a it's a very broad form of engineering. I mean, there's five disciplines in civil engineering. And so there's a lot of opportunities for you there. And that's kind of why I ventured towards civil engineering. Okay. I feel like a lot of students express interest in engineering. And I'm not sure that everybody is getting an accurate picture of what the education for engineering actually looks like or the type of skills or knowledge you should have to be successful mm-hmm. in an engineering program. So can you speak to what they should expect in terms of coursework, the types of classes you have to take to earn that degree? Yeah, so I actually was looking into getting a math minor when I was at UNL until I realized that like somebody that's not in a engineering field could get a math minor by basically taking Calc 1, 2, 3, and then something additional. Well, for us, Calc 1, 2, 3, and differential equations, I mean, there's four classes right there. That's basically two years worth of math that are required for our degree. And then everything that you do in engineering, like one thing is I had a couple of friends that they were from the Lincoln Omaha area and they took a lot of AP 
classes in high school. Well, they took AP physics, AP chemistry and all that stuff and then transferred that in, but it didn't count towards our degree program because those weren't calculus based. And so basically what that means is they are given the equations of whatever you're trying to, you know, gravity, whatever, all that stuff. And then they just would figure out based off these equations that somebody derived, whether that's Newton's law or whatever, then they could figure out the problems. Well, what we had to do is all of our stuff, science wise, has to be calculus based. We had to take all those, your calc, your differential equations, all that stuff to get to the point where we could even take our chemistry and our physics classes. And then you get into your discipline classes where you're looking at dynamics and stuff like that that are considered engineering classes, but they're all derived back to math and sciences, you know? And so kind of all that's connected and basically everything that we take that are core classes are tied back to that. Now, one of the things that took me a little bit to figure out in college and it took me back to my junior year of college is for engineering, there's a design manual out there for everything. Anybody could pick up a design manual, have a little bit of background and be able to figure their way through a problem. But the one thing that college was really teaching you was it was giving you that background information. And but what it does is it's really teaching you to think critically. It was teaching you that, hey, you know, I, I work through a problem and I get to a solution. Now, does that solution make sense? Can I sit there and look at that and say, yeah, you know what? That is reasonable. Am I off by 100,000 gallons? I mean, if I am, that's a big deal. Somebody that doesn't necessarily have that technical background might not be able to look at that answer and say, hey, is that right? Is that wrong? And that's one of the things I think college really got you set up for that in the engineering world to think critically about that stuff. How can we solve this problem? Now that I think of how I can solve that problem, how do I do that? You know, oh, yeah, there's an Ashto manual. Um, there's a Weft Tech manual. There's all kinds of manuals out there. You can figure that out and say, oh, yeah, you know, this is where I could go with that. Yeah, this answer makes sense. And then that's how we'd go about it. I think that's something that took me a little bit to get through. And I early in my college career, like if I was studying for a test or whatever, you'd have your, you know, your one sheet of paper that the professor would let you bring into a test. You'd have a practice test from them. So you'd be going over practice test, practice test, practice test, getting to know all that stuff. And then I think I could overstudy for it where I would get in there. And if, if a problem wasn't, you know, right off that practice test, I'd almost lock up and get nervous about it, start to freak out about the test. As I learned that, hey, I need to learn how to think critically through this stuff, I could almost, this might not be a good thing to say, but I could almost study less because I could work my way through the problem because I wouldn't be just expecting this, 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 and this to be on the test. If something else came up, I could think my way through it and be able to work out the problem the way you would have to in the real world. You know, I think that's some stuff that took me a little bit to get that figured out in college. But, you know, a lot of those technical type classes kind of helped me through that on a couple of the like especially structures. I took a couple structures classes. One of the things is they didn't necessarily teach out of a textbook. They taught out of a, a manual that was designed by American Iron and Steel or, you know, whatever. And so, you know, basically we were using that design manual for our class. And that's kind of when the few things started to come through to me. And, it, you know, and everybody's different. I don't know if that worked for everybody, but that's kind of how I ended up developing. And then that really helped me too. Then when we went to do my licensure type stuff, because then you get your degree and that doesn't mean you're an engineer. You have to, um, there's two tests that you have to take, fundamentals and engineering and a professional engineering exam. And the fundamentals of engineering, um, most people take that their senior year of college. And it's a two, four hour test. You take it all in one day. The beginning of it is a general engineering test. The afternoon is whatever your discipline is. Then you have to be an engineering intern is what the state of Nebraska calls it. Wyoming calls it uh, engineering training. And so then I don't have a license and I have to practice under a licensed engineer for 
four years. And then I have to apply to the board of engineers and architect and to be able to sit for my PE. So they review my application. I have to have reference letters. And then they say, okay, yeah, you can take that test. Then you have another eight hour test that you take where median and civil engineering, then there's five disciplines in civil engineering. And then you'd take, you'd choose whichever discipline you wanted to take that in for the afternoon portion of it. But that is really, really good information because I, I mean, admittedly didn't know all of that, but I think what you're saying is really, really important because students who do want to go into engineering or really any area of study in college, it does take a little while to understand that they want you to grasp the concept, mm-hmm. not the actual problem that they're giving you. Like you said, for you, that was a light bulb. It just kind of switched on for you one day. And that helps with your testing and your licensure and all of that stuff. Yep. If you were looking at it from that lens and that's a lot of tests, Yeah. even just to intern. Yeah. And that, yeah, I and think then, that's yeah. important to know as well that you you don't like you said you don't just graduate and you're an engineer yeah and depending on the engineering discipline it's kind of different too like civil engineers almost always take their PE you don't have to take your PE to be an engineer my brother is an agricultural engineer he's probably never going to take his PE but he doesn't necessarily need it because whatever he does in his field he is working under the blanket of his employer licensure is all based off of your kind of your liability when you seal something and civil engineers are that way our main canon for civil engineering is public health and safety. So when we seal something, we are saying that this will be safe for the public. This will be safe for people. And so we seal everything that we do. If you're working for a company, like a manufacturing type company, that the company takes on that liability. They're saying whatever product they put out there, that will be safe for people. And it goes back to the company, not necessarily the individual. See, the way I am, if I stamp a set of plans and something fails on those and it ends up in a loss of life or something like that, I am personally responsible. Now, there are safeties put together with the company that I work in. You know, I mean, your company will always have a basically they say, well, they're working under your guys. So then their insurance falls on me. So no pressure. And yeah. <laughs> um, that is even more reason to take the time to learn those concepts. So you are talking about putting your stamp of approval or sealing plans and things like that. So that sort of leads me to my next question. What's a day in the life look like for you? So there's kind of two seasons, I guess, for my industry anyway, because we work in a construction field. So there's a construction season and then there's kind of our winter season. A lot of times in the winter is when we do a lot of our design type work. We get a lot of that stuff done, get projects bid out in the winter so that they can have a spring start date on the construction. So a lot of that is working inside. When I get outside, I'm usually working on collecting data for something, uh, whether I'm putting in four meters, something like that. I do a lot of our water, wastewater stuff. And so then I'm working through a lot of that stuff and doing a lot of the design in terms of CAD, um, writing up specifications for the contracts and stuff like that, presenting reports, things of that nature. When we get into the construction season, a lot of it is our construction administration portion of our job. We'll have inspectors that are out on site anytime the contractor's working. Us as engineers will do progress meetings, um, whether something was mislocated or you know, you come across well hey, there was an old foundation here. We can't put it here. What do we do? So then there's a lot of the construction administration where we're moving through. Um, The other thing we do is we prepare our payment applications so that we can take those to the client. So we do a lot of that administrative type work too. And that's something, you know, that wasn't necessarily, I didn't really think about, you know, prior to getting out into the, the private sector. And then monthly, I'm going to a city council meeting to present stuff because most of our clients are communities. 
So what you're saying is in intro to engineering, they didn't get you excited about paperwork. Right. They did not. Okay. All right. So that's, that's <laughs> good to know. So with all of that said, if you could go back and tell yourself anything when you were in college, what piece of advice would you give yourself? To take uh, technical speaking, technical writing with a little bit more credence. Presentations is something I do on a regular basis. Now, a lot of them aren't necessarily formal presentations, but trying to convey what I do on a day-to-day basis to someone that doesn't have that background, whether that be a council member, or mostly it's the council members and mayor and clerk. You know, we work tightly with the utility superintendents and stuff like that. Now, where they don't necessarily have the technical background, they have the real life background where they know what you're talking about. But then when you try to convey that onto a council that's making the final decision on if a project needs to be done doesn't need to be done. I know in my technical speaking class, they talked about that a lot to where you need to speak to a fifth grade level or whatever they were talking about at that time. And that's kind of something that I didn't necessarily take as much credence on as I needed to. Um, the other thing is like going back to the technical thinking or the critical thinking. I wish I would have thought of that a little bit earlier on in my career then than not. Yeah. And I think that's a great point because when you're sitting here talking about calc one, two, and three and differential equations and CAD and all of that stuff, you need to be able to explain that to me mm-hmm. or whoever who doesn't have that background. Oh, one question I had for you. Did you do any work-based learning opportunities when you were in school, internship, shadowing, that type of thing? Yeah, I was just going to, that's what I was going to say next was, uh, so I interned after, let's see. Yeah, I did intern after every year of college. And the first year I didn't get an internship in the private field, but what I did is I worked for a professor down in Lincoln doing research. And one thing that that taught me is, first of all, I did not want to do research. That's the first thing I found out is I didn't, I didn't really like what I was doing on that, but not to say that, you know, I'm, that's not for everyone. I mean, did that research stuff and I just didn't really like that as much. I mean, it was, the same thing every day. And it might have just been the project I was working on. But what I was doing is I was looking at videos of a rail crossing and I was tallying up in a spreadsheet how many people went through the arms when they were down, make an illegal U-turn to get her away from a train and just sat there and watched video after video after video. And then I would go out about once a month to go download all the stuff from the camera. And then I wrote a paper about it. I found out that I didn't really want to do that. Then I ended up getting my master's. And what I did to get my master's is I actually did that online while I was working. So I was only taking two classes a year. And so it took me five years to get through 30 credits. But the reason I did that was I focused more on structures and geotechnical or soils when I was in college. I interned with MC Schaffner Associates that I was at here for two years. And I was working in our materials lab where we were testing soils, concrete, stuff like that. And I really got to liken that. And what was nice too is that I didn't have to sweat out finding a job. Basically, after I interned between my um, junior and senior year, my boss said, hey, if you want to get back to this area, they said, I, we've got a job for you. We'll we'll make something happen there. So that was nice because I, you know, I'd already built that bridge and everything and then didn't necessarily have to sweat it out like a few of my friends had to on doing interviews and stuff like that all through their senior year. Anyway, when I got started, I was working in the materials lab. I was writing our geotech reports, all that stuff, but that wasn't necessarily what would keep you busy full time. Well, then we had a few guys quit that were doing our water, wastewater stuff. And I was the low man on the totem pole. And it was like, hey, so that's your, your job now. So I went up and found this program through Colorado State that was water resource engineering. And mostly I wanted to do that because I needed to refine my skills in that side a lot. That's how I fell into my degree program. But that internship that I had that one year found out that I did not really want to do that when I grew up. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, and that's, that's excellent. We tell students that all the time. 
those work-based opportunities, it's just as valuable to rule things out as it is to rule them in. And so you wouldn't have known that. A couple of the kids that I went to school with too, they, they interned all through the school year too. A couple of them have jobs and they would go after classes, whatever their last class got out, you know, they get work a couple hours doing some drafting and stuff like that for a local engineering firm. You know, they kept that working through and then a couple of them started with those firm right away. A couple of them didn't, but it gave them to where they were doing more than say clerking at Walmart or something like that. Well, yeah, even if in your situation, you interned where you would end up coming on full time. But even if that doesn't happen, you're applying for jobs with experience. And so the education is good and you do need it. However, the experience is always going to give you a little bit more of an edge. Everybody that graduates from an accredited college, you have an accredited degree. If you can show experience, that's what's going to set you apart from mm -hmm. somebody else. Or, hey, I might not be working for so-and-so, but that person that I was working under might know a guy at whatever firm I'm applying for, mm -hmm. you know, get a reference, yeah. something like that. You know, that's cute. Unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, when it comes down to those job opportunities, it is how it looks on paper. And mm -hmm. if it's just a degree, you all have a degree, mm -hmm. you know, and so that experience and those connections are what are going to get you in the door. So anything else you want the young listeners to know? Not that I can think of besides, I know, like being personable, you know, that's another big thing, too. There's a lot of personal interaction that we have to have on a daily basis. And it's true. If it's between you and another firm and you're both offering relatively similar things, they might just go with who they like. Oh, you work for MC Shaft, right? Yep. Do yep, they MC do internship Shaft. opportunities? Yep, we do. We've had a couple interns both um, last few years. What's tough is really hard to get into a lot of the nuts and bolts sides of the engineering, you know, in a couple months because a lot of our projects are years in the making. But they'll do a lot of stuff with the materials lab. We'll try to get them, you know, out on the projects to inspect stuff and see the kind of the real world application. You design something and see it built. And so we try to get those guys through some of that stuff too, where we can work on, you know, a little piece with one of the engineers and then be able to go out and see it actually constructed. Cause a lot of times the internships during the construction season over the summer. So, oh, yeah, that's really gratifying to see your work kind of <laughs> all come together and not be on paper. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Michael. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate it. All right. Next up, we have Doug Hovitt who is the engineer for the Panhandle with the Nebraska Department of Transportation. And so, Doug, would you mind just giving us some information on your educational background and how you got to where you are professionally now? Sure. Uh, I started out, I actually am a Scottsbluff native, uh, so I went to Scottsbluff High School. After high school, I transferred to, I went to WNCC, did that for two years, got an associate's uh, degree, and then transferred to the University of Wyoming, um, where I finished up my bachelor's of science in civil engineering. Um, I worked as a, uh, in roadway design when I got out of college, and then eventually became the construction engineer out here in the panhandle. And then about six years ago, I was promoted to the district engineer. How did you come to the conclusion that engineering was the right field for you? When you're in high school, for example, and you're decent at math and science, people say, oh, you should be an engineer. And you're like, oh, well, great. How do I do that? And then they say, well, you go to college. And so you go to college. And then the college says, oh, well, what do you want to do? You want to be an engineer? Okay, you stand in this line and you take these courses according to the catalog and you take them in this particular order because there is uh, this one's a prerequisite for that one. And then in a few years, you're done. And you're like, great. What? Why, why, awesome. And then you 
you get out and you're like, well, what do I, what the heck do I do with this? You know? And for me, as I was going through school, I also did a little bit of, I worked during the summers at the department in construction. And so I kind of saw some of that exposure there. And what ends up happening is you kind of generally feel the the industry out, right? So you kind of see some different aspects of it. You don't get to see the whole thing because, you know, you're just one person, but you get a kind of like get a sense of, of what you enjoy. So as I was going through, it's like, yeah, you're decent at math and science. Great. And then you can do a lot of different things. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll do design stuff and design stuff was, was fun. And it's, it's certainly a satisfying thing to do, but I missed the outdoors. I missed the variety of construction. I missed seeing the construction of it and actually the things being built. And so once you see that, then it's like, okay, well, I'm less in the cubicle and more out in the field. And then when you get to a certain point in your career, there are, you can kind of differentiate it from a, of a technical standpoint where you're a technical person, um, which is, you know, you're, you're designing the stuff, you're calculating the things, you're factoring and figuring and all those things. And then there's another group that manages those people. And so your skill set, you still have to have enough technical resource to be able to understand what the concepts are. But now once you go into more of a management role, then you're having to have a, build a different set of skills, soft skills with people and being able to convert technical nerdy engineer to English for layman, you know, which is that it's in itself is, is, is sometimes difficult because, you know, maybe people are explaining what they want. And unless you can convert that into like a language that everybody is speaking, um, there's going to be that disconnect. And then when, when those separations happen in the communication end, but if, if you can communicate effectively, you, you cure a lot of ills that way. And if you can't, or you don't, or it's not your strength, that doesn't mean that you cannot be successful in your field. It just might mean that you've got, you know, you might have to choose a different path. So then working in the Department of Transportation, can you tell us, I'm sure it's not the same every day, but what are what are some of the day-to-day tasks you would see as the engineer for the campaign? With the things that I've thought about when you mentioned that, there's a lot of variety. And you can kind of, I mean, there's a lot of like thinking aspects to it where, you know, you're trying to abstract ideas. So you're, t- you're taking planning as an example, whether it is when does this roadway in 2020 at this certain condition need to be reconstructed? You're trying to project out into the future and then try to forecast all of these other elements that could affect that. So whether it is you've got other roadways that are competing for that roadway's attention, and that can be because of the condition of those, maybe the ones failing faster, ones in a different location. There's a lot of different things like that. There's a fair bit of, of reading um, involved, you know, and that can be anything from technical reports to financial projections from tax revenue and things like that. And there is a an underestimated amount of writing that takes place too, because like you're in engineering, right? And you're thinking, oh, I'm a math and science guy. What do I need to know about writing? And then it's like, well, quite a little bit, because what ends up happening is the higher you go through the process, you need to be, you're moving from a technical aspect to a broader aspect in some ways. So you're no longer the one bridge person that knows this super tight bridge tolerance thing. You've got to know a little bit about bridge and you've got to know a little bit about materials and a little bit about this year. Competency actually broadens, but it, it's it's a little bit shallower in, in, in a sense because you're not diving really deep into one item. You have to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. The other thing that I would say is in addition to like the conceptualization aspect of it is you've got to pay attention. There's a lot of listening that you have to do. And it's like really critical listening. People 
people will say, well, you know, I went and talked to them and they told me this and they said that and they use a lot of pronouns. And it's like, okay, well, who's they? Who is this they person that told you that? Well, you know, Bill said I could do this. Okay, well, what is this exactly? Was there a start time? Was there a duration? Was there an expense? Was there an item? And and trying to be fairly precise in that because the, the devil's in the details. And if you can understand what the real question is, what the real problem is by removing all of the extraneous data, then you can say, okay, well, this is really what we're trying to solve here. That makes perfect sense. And to me, that sounds like another really valuable skill that isn't the more obvious ones associated with the STEM fields. So we've talked a lot about these different skills that students or an engineer uh, should possess. And so as far as in an interview setting, if you were interviewing somebody for an engineering job, what types of transferable skills would you be looking for? So for example, for the listeners, what are the the soft skills or the transferable skills that are important? The idea that, you know, because because when you're when you're in engineering, you've you've been good at math and science. And everybody in your lifetime has told you how you know clever you are or whatever. You know, everybody's got different backgrounds and stuff, I understand. But you know, at some point you decide, hey, you know what, I'm pretty good at math and science. I'm a pretty smart guy. And the thing that you need to remember is that so is everybody that that's interviewing with you. So the thing that you need to try to do, recognizing that that the bar is everybody's smart. What you need to do is take kind of a bit of an audit of your own skill set and figure out like what it is that I bring to the table that can differentiate me from these other smart people. And everybody's got different skills. And so basically what I would recommend, at least in the initial part, I like to see people that when they come into an interview, that they're enthusiastic about being there. Um, I'm excited. You know, how are you feeling in this interview? Are you nervous? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I think another thing is, you know, as you're into your, entering your career, I think one other thing to know is that you can understand, you know, just understand your limits. You know, nobody expects you to know everything. Yeah, I think um, contrary to what a lot of people think is that oftentimes the know-it-all or the one that comes in and says, I know that and I know this and at my previous job, we did this and that can sometimes be more off-putting than the person that's like, gosh, I don't know. Could you teach me? I can't wait to learn. Oh, certainly. I mean, yeah. you know, there's, there's an adage about you hire for the attitude because you can train for the skill. And, you know, again, if everybody's competent enough to learn, then I prefer the person that that I kind of, you know, connect with. That's really good information for the interview. So you've been in the field for a little while. What would you say is the best way to network? When, when I think of like the networking aspect, especially if it's somebody on the entry of a career, you don't know who's who and what what exactly. But there are folks that you will be able to pick out of that crowd of industry people that kind of stand out. And uh, they might be the owners of the business. They might be somebody that's really kind of a go-getter within that industry. And probably the easy, maybe not the easiest way, because again, these are simple ideas, but they're not easy. But I think that there's a, a couple different things. One, if you go up to somebody and respectfully just say, hi, my name is Doug. And from an outsider looking in, it appears that your business is going great. And I would really like to sit down and just kind of pick your brain. And a lot of people that are approached are really gracious about what they've done. And most of the time, in my experience, it's been because one, nobody arrives where they arrive by themselves. The, the yeah. second thing that I think of when I think of that is kind of like pick people that are, you can kind of categorize, I guess, like 
whether it's a coach slash mentor or advisors, you know, depending on how far along your career or if, say you're starting a new business, you're going to need a little bit of both. We encourage students to do job shadowing and work-based learning and internships and things like that. Would that be something that's attractive to you as maybe somebody who would be doing hiring or something like that when students have taken the initiative to actually get out and learn more about the actual practical application of their education? So, so if somebody went through a job shadowing program and really paid attention and really took everything they could to heart, that is different than somebody that took a job shadow for a sum- summer or two because their advisor told them to. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about you went to WNCC, then you transferred out to the University of Wyoming. What's some advice you would give to college students now that you've had all of this experience and you have the knowledge and wisdom of being in the field? Sure. Well, I think if, if it's, let me kind of break that into some different categories. So if you're a current student, I would recommend people approach it like it's their job in a sense. It's one of those things where when you get out of, you know, whatever, high school, college, you go into the workforce as, as one option, and then you, you have to go to work. Well, if you decide to go to college, or that is your job, that is your focus. And so you need to kind of take that kind of seriously because you're paying for it. And with that, there's a lot of fun stuff to do there. And really to get the full benefit of it, try out some of those things, try out some of those clubs and those different organizations, because that will add, make it a more satisfying experience. I mean, I, I did some things in school and I look back and it's like, wow, I missed a bunch of opportunities there. So there's that part. I'd say that, um, you know, recognizing, of course, again, like we'd mentioned before, that when you enter the workforce, you're going to be competing against others that are just as smart, clever, creative, ambitious as you are. And so then you've got to kind of take a little bit of stock and of what you bring to the table. That's really good advice, Doug. Thank you. So is there anything outside of what you just spoke about that you want our students to know that you want to add here at the end? I think if you, you know, look at things like kind of a game, you know, kind of sort of, it's it's really easy to get wrapped up in the seriousness of everything, you know, because, you know, you've got people that are like, life is important, study hard, get good grades, you know, just pounding you with conventional wisdom, you know, sometimes that conventional wisdom um, is, is exceptionally useful, but sometimes you have to kind of, you know, go do your own thing too. And if you have a plan, don't be bashful about trying something like that. You know, I'm not saying go blindly off into the wilderness, you know, do, do some homework. If you're going to compete, compete in an area where you have a competitive edge. That's something that's probably a, a way to kind of describe that. If you have um, something that you do that's really unique, you might be, be, you know, that might be a benefit to pursue something like that than it would be just to do something that, that you're not as good at. I love that. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to share your your knowledge and your wisdom with our students, especially so close to the holidays here. I appreciate you squeezing us in. Oh, man, I I the college we talked about this before when I was 18 or whatever going there, you know, you kind of have this like vision of what the place is. And it's not until after you're like a little bit more grown up or whatever that you really see the value that it does. And so anything I can do to help, let me know. Oh, we so appreciate that, Doug. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime. All right, that is all for STEM. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully it was helpful for those of you who are considering a career in this field. Join us next time when we'll be talking about technical trades. Have a good one.
Special thanks to the Gearing Scotts Bluff United Chamber of Commerce for partnering with us on this endeavor. A big thank you to Amanda Foote for educating us on the technology needed to bring you this series. Our theme song was composed by our own music student, Devin Sheeler, and it was performed by the WNCC Fire in the Pan Swing Band. Our graphic was designed by Maria Grant, a Scotts Bluff High School graphic design intern out of our WNCC PR and marketing department.